a new year and a new presidential election ramps up. How will national security and veterans' issues play a role in the race? Produced by Defense News and Military Times, this is the Early Bird Brief. Each morning we bring you the defense and national security news of the day. PACT Act is one of the most significant laws ever signed to help veterans exposed to toxic materials and help their families recover as well as receive compensation. And the Gerald R. Ford Strike Group is returning home from a tour in the Mediterranean. What does it all mean for our defense and security? You'll find out. I'm your host, Simone Perez. Today is Wednesday, January 3rd, 2024. First up, yes, we may only be a few days into the new year, but the 2024 presidential election cycle is well underway. In just 12 days, voting will get underway in the Republican presidential primary, where the Iowa Republican caucuses are January 15th. Voters will begin the work to choose who will be the party's presidential nominee, while President Joe Biden, the expected Democratic nominee, has little challenge in the polls and has campaigned for months. Defense and veterans' issues are expected to be some of the biggest issues of this election cycle. Military Times Capitol Hill Bureau Chief Leo Shane III joins the episode to explain how both parties see these issues as winners in the fast-approaching election. So Leo, what is President Biden's message on veteran and national security issues? And how has he been using that these past couple months in his reelection bid? Yeah, look, we, uh, you know, we're just a couple days into 2024 here and we're already in full election mode. The president's been campaigning for a few months here. And back in uh, back in November, back around Veterans Day, he unveiled a few ads connected to his uh, his administration's work on um, burden pit benefits and some of the veterans benefits they've they've really made a push on. Um, the president has talked frequently about being the, the father of a veteran of a service member, Bill Biden, who sadly passed away from brain cancer. Uh, suspected from uh, some of the burn pit exposure that that he had, so uh, the Bidens have have played that up, have uh, you know revitalized the joining forces campaign that the Obamas had, and have made that that part of their thing. I don't think it'll be a a heavy defense and veterans message from them, but I think it's going to be a, a constant drumbeat in the background that hey, we're you know we're looking out for veterans, we're looking out for veterans' issues, and we're doing what we can to make sure the military is in the in the right place moving forward. And even though Republicans have yet to vote on their nominee, how are some of their candidates running for president using these issues to support their candidacy or attack the current administration? Yeah, look, we still don't know exactly what the Republican message is going to be because we don't know who the Republican standard bearer is going to be. It seems like it's going to be former President Donald Trump. You know, he's got quite a quite a few messages, but um, if he's the if he's the main candidate here, if he's the one that's facing off against Biden, he's going to highlight uh, the messy Afghanistan withdrawal. He's definitely going to blame Biden for that. Um, really, any of the candidates will probably focus in on how that ended and say that that Biden turned his back on uh, the people of Afghanistan and has not been a, a proper leader of the military. But Trump, uh, during his time in office, was was pretty focused on increasing the defense budget, uh, you know, started the, the Space Force up the end strength. So that'll be another talking point for him. Um, and if it's not uh, President Trump, if it's, uh, you know, uh, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, uh, you know, he's a, a Navy veteran. He served on active duty, deployed overseas to Iraq uh, as, a, uh, as a legal specialist for them. Former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley, her husband serving in the 
the South Carolina Army National Guard. Um, he's deployed to Africa at the moment for part of her campaign. So, so I think you know we'll see just broadly um, some some playing up of that. You know, the Republicans have always tried to claim the title that they are the party of the Defense Department. They're the party that does the best to protect the military. So we'll see them them push that issue and probably focus in on the defense budget, which you know has been a point of contention between uh, Biden and the uh, and Congress in, in terms of how much funding it should get. Another important story, we have an update on the Gerald R. Ford strike group returning to the United States. For more on this, Navy Times reporter Diana Stancy provides us with some updates. Yes, so the Gerald R. Ford uh, first got underway for its first full-length deployment from Norfolk, Virginia in May. The Ford was operating in the Mediterranean for most of its deployment. However, it's been operating in the Eastern Mediterranean since the beginning of October, following increased tensions in the region amid the Israel and Hamas war. So um, while the carrier has been in the Eastern Mediterranean since then, its accompanying warships have sailed into the Red Sea and have been in the thick of um, a lot of tension and have repeatedly intercepted incoming ballistic missiles and attack drones that um, officials they were fired from Yemen by um, Iran-backed Houthi rebels. So included in the Ford's carrier strike group is the destroyer Kearney, which notably shot down 14 attack drones in the Red Sea on December 16th. So we are seeing some uh, posture changes in the region. According to U.S. Sixth Fleet, the carrier will return to Norfolk in the coming days in the amphibious assault ship Bataan, the amphibious transport ship Mesa Verde, and the dock landing ship Carter Hall are slated to fill in for the carrier's presence in the region. So what we've got on the Mesa Verde is approximately 2,000 Marines from the 26th Marine Expeditionary Unit who are capable of supporting a wide range of missions, according to U.S. Sixth Fleet. So additionally, the Ford during this deployment has provided a dual carrier presence in the region since the fall. That's along with the aircraft carrier Eisenhower, which arrived in the U.S. Fifth Fleet of Area of Operations in November. So that's significant, too, because it marked the very first time a carrier has operated in Central Command's area of responsibility since the end of the war in Afghanistan in 2021. Also on your radar for today, the Marines are planned to field a new shooting simulator in 2024. Force to Force Training System's next program will replace the 1970s era technology that's reached its service limits. The new system underwent testing last month, and it is planned for fielding first at the Marine Corps Air Ground Combat Center 29 Palms in California. The Corps first announced the program in 2021, and Saab Inc. won the contract, potentially worth up to $248 million. It has since been renamed the Marine Corps Tactical Instrumentation System, and it uses vests equipped with sensors to detect not only hits and misses, but also track movement and location data. That information can be used for real-time tracking during training and after-action reviews using playback features. Such features will allow trainers and observers to accurately analyze user performance in force-on-force training. The Corps announced the program in 2021 after starting the search for a replacement for the Instrumented Tactical Engagement Simulation System in 2017. That system was the replacement of the Multiple Integrated Laser Engagement System, or MILES. Army officials announced that MILES would become obsolete by 2026. The Army currently is seeking its own replacement for the Legacy Shooting Simulators. And now here are some other stories that we're hearing chirps about. 
In case you missed it, officials said a passenger plane and a Japanese Coast Guard aircraft collided on the runway at Tokyo's Haneda Airport yesterday and burst into flames. All 379 people on the Japan Airlines flight got out safely. The pilot of the Coast Guard plane escaped, but the five crew members died. A Coast Guard spokesperson said the aircraft was due to deliver relief goods to residents affected by a deadly earthquake in the region on Monday. Japan's Prime Minister said yesterday the Japanese military dispatched 1,000 soldiers to the disaster zones to join rescue efforts from the earthquakes. A Coast Guard cutter seized drugs with a total estimated street value of $24.3 million last month in the North Arabian Sea. Reuters reported that two security sources said an armed drone was shot down yesterday over an airport in northern Iraq where U.S. and other international forces are stationed. And in case you missed it, the commander of the 88th Air Base Wing at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base in Ohio was relieved of command late last week. A statement said Colonel Christopher B. Meeker was removed due to a loss of confidence in his ability to lead. And on this day in history, in 1973, Navy veteran James Aberesk from South Dakota became the first Arab American to serve in the United States Senate. That's it for us this morning. To get more top stories and breaking news, go to defensenews.com slash EBB to subscribe to the Early Bird Brief newsletter. Please give us a like, rating, and a comment wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to follow us on social media at defense underscore news and at military times. The Early Bird Brief is hosted and produced by me, Zimone Z. Perez. Today's episode featured stories by Leo Shane III, Diana Stancy, and Todd South. Our editor-in-chief is Mike Bruce. Have a great day.